This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Ultimately, I'm always right. How many times does almost everybody have to be proved wrong about Donald Trump? It's true. Ultimately, he's always right. I am very, very confident in him and uh, whatever he wants to do next. And I have been quite clear. I hope that includes running for and winning the presidency. All right. So as usual, the mainstream media certainly can't figure it out. But also the conservative media, surprisingly and very disappointingly. And actually, when it comes to Fox, not that surprisingly. But first, the mainstream. Watch them getting it all wrong and overreacting. The, you know, brewing feud between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Make no mistake, DeSantis had a huge night this week. Trump had objectively a terrible one. I am very much looking forward to this fight because this is a monster that needed to be killed a long time ago. I'm telling you, if this if this cult is falling apart as we speak because he picked the wrong fight with the wrong guy at yeah. the wrong time. Everybody knows what Trump is. His behaviors are always uh, brutish and immature. And I think that Ron is a statesman about it. And the more he stays that way, the better he's going to look. <laughs> uh, this is basically turning on the television anytime over the past seven years. You heard something along these lines. Um, there's a little bit of a different twist. Yes, this feud with Ron DeSantis and Fox News also just calling it quits and running for the exits. And right now, Donald Trump keeps taking shots at Ron DeSantis. That is not going to play well. When they see Trump going after DeSantis, they're like, what is he doing? Why are, why are they, why, why is he going after him? And it's like watching your parents fight, you know? And, and so going after him preemptively in this way is very counterproductive and it makes Trump look desperate and it makes Trump look weak. All right, calm down, everybody. They don't know what they're talking about. And going after Ron DeSantis, uh, you call this an attack? Look, on this Veterans Day, I was in the Marine Corps, all right? And before they let me fly jets, they yelled at me at boot camp and all that stuff. This is child's play, what's happening between DeSantis and Trump right now. And it's also politics. It's no big deal. And it's far less severe than anything Bill and Hillary Clinton said about Barack Obama. And yes, let me prove it to you, okay? Bill Clinton made a horrible and racist statement about Barack Obama back in 2007, 2008, when he was fighting Hillary for the nomination. You can look it up. He said it. He was so frustrated, he said it to Teddy Kennedy. A few years ago, this guy would have been getting us coffee. It's Bill Clinton, his assessment of Barack Obama. A little bit uppity in my book, where I come from. I mean, that was one of the harshest, most ridiculous things ever said about Barack Obama. And I'm no fan of Barack Obama. And then Hillary Clinton, 
What did she say? Forget Barack Obama, forget her rivals. What about the people? You could put half of Trump supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. <laughs> right? The racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, Islamophobic, you name it. Racist, sexist, all those things, not against a rival, but against America. Against America. Wow. And now the media, conservative media, too, having a meltdown about Donald Trump. They still haven't figured him out. After all of these years, instead of being outraged by him all the time, why don't you study him? Why don't you learn something? And here are three basic things to know about Donald Trump. He's from New York City. He's a billionaire and he's not a politician. Those three factors about Donald Trump explain so much. Look, New Yorkers, they're different from the rest of the country. Billionaires, they can be wild. That's how they became billionaires. But most of all, he's not a politician. You know how old he was when he came down the escalator? 69 years old. I mean, look, I think he's going to live to be 100. Uh, but obviously, he did not spend his career in politics and he doesn't talk like those guys. That's one of the reasons why we like him. Now, let's go to this uh, DeSantis situation, all right? Um, DeSantis really studied Trump, and he copied him a lot. Uh, more on that later. But this statement that Donald Trump put out that's getting everybody all upset, it's fine. It's nothing really that crosses the line. Let's go through it. Governor Ron DeSanctimonious, an average Republican governor with great public relations. Well, Let's start with the desanctimonious part. This is actually a very good and very accurate nickname for Governor DeSantis. Who puts out a commercial like this? Did you see it? I mean, talk about cringe, talk about over the top. They did it, not me. And on the eighth day, God looked down on his planned paradise and said, I need a protector. So God made a fighter. God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, kiss his family goodbye, travel thousands of miles for no other reason than to serve the people, to save their jobs, their livelihoods, their liberty, their happiness. Yeah. So God made a fighter. All right. You see, it's whoa, whoa. He's the governor of a state. Relax. All right. And there's a lot of politicking and glad handing easy there, please. And what else did Donald? I mean, the sanctimonious that totally works. Ron came to me in a in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead, losing a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, Adam Putman. Uh, this is true. He was. Let's take a look at the polls back then. In 2017, Adam Putman was uh, the man to beat. It was a crowded field. Uh, there is 20. And Ron DeSantis behind him, double digits. That's December 17th, 2017. Trump puts out a tweet and it's a full fledged endorsement. He's a brilliant young leader. Yale and Harvard, all that stuff would make a great governor of Florida. He loves our country and is a troop fighter. And what happened to the polls? He shot up to first place in almost a matter of hours. I mean, all right, so this is not an exaggeration. This is a statement of fact in this state. It really is. Also, oh, who remembers Andrew Gillum? 
He brought him up in the uh, statement here, Andrew Gillum. Uh, then Ron got by the star of the Democrat Party, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead. Now, this makes so many people appalled, but again, it's true. Um, and DeSantis had a tough time putting away Gillum in the debate. He was all kind of just nervous and twitchy. DeSantis was. It was not a great performance, but whatever. He beat him, and it's true. Gillum turned out to have all kinds of substance abuse problems. He wound up on that floor in Miami, and uh, we wish him all the best recovery in, in the private sector. Uh, what else? Donald Trump did throw major rallies, having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one. And this is true. As president of the United States, he went down to Florida and campaigned for then-Congressman Ron DeSantis. This, this is a pretty big deal. Uh, also this, it says that DeSantis was having some campaign trouble. I also fixed his campaign, which had completely fallen apart. Now the fake news is all over this. We have no evidence of this. There's no evidence. Fake news, they never realized that maybe there are some things they're not privy to that a president of the United States just might be privy to. Hmm? That's kind of reasonable. Just because they can't Google it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Next, uh, he said this. I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys and the ballot theft immediately ended. Yeah, there were some, uh, well, there were some hiccups around the election of Ron DeSantis uh, back in November of 2018. Results from Florida's Senate and governor's races remain unclear a week after the polls closed. The state is once again mired in recounts and lawsuits. At the center of the drama is South Florida's Broward County. Officials there are working around the clock to recount more than 700,000 ballots ahead of Thursday's deadline. All right. Now, does that mean that uh, the U.S. attorneys went inside and investigated what did Donald Trump say exactly in that statement? I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys and the ballot theft immediately ended. Well, that could have meant I put him on standby. I told him, hey, if anything happens, I need you guys to be ready. It's, it's not a big deal. And it's interesting. And it may have happened. So fake news is feasting over that. Look, what I'm trying to do here is show you that this is actually a reasonable statement. It is. Next, please. Uh, oh, and now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asks him if he's going to run, uh, if President Trump runs. And he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, that's really not the right answer. Uh, I agree with President Trump. Now, in political circles, this happens all the time. People just turn their back on you, forget what you did for them. That's politics. But remember, Donald Trump is not a politician and he doesn't play by their rules. And if they break the rules, actually their own rules, he's free to point it out. Wrapping this up, Fox News, he has something to say about that. This is just like 2015 and 2016, a media assault, collusion, when Fox News fought me to the end until I won. So Fox News is turning on him now. And yes, they turned on him. They were never really with him until, as he said, he got elected. Watch. Loser. 
Loser is Trump, who seems to think this campaign is about him and doesn't realize it's about angry, disenchanted voters and a broken political system. The Republicans uh, can't win with Trump as the nominee. I don't take Donald Trump seriously. He's not a credible candidate for the presidency. He won't win at Republican primary. He won't win Iowa. He won't win New Hampshire. He won't win any state. I think, frankly, he's got to figure out what his exit strategy is going to be to protect his ego on his way out. And these guys are still paid to talk about politics on television. How about that? So, Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. I got to point this out again, if you haven't noticed. Uh, DeSantis has picked up everything he does as governor from Donald Trump in terms of substance and policy. And, oh, yeah, style. Look at that. Now, you think Ron DeSantis was talking in this manner uh, before Donald Trump uh, came on the scene, he wasn't. And policy, my gosh, everything has been taken from Donald Trump. Hey, I'm fine with that. And I like Ron DeSantis for president someday. But I believe he owes it to President Trump to sit this one out. I mean, take a look at this. Everyone knows my husband, Ron DeSantis, is endorsed by President Trump, but he's also an amazing dad. Ron loves playing with the kids. Build the wall. He reads stories. Then Mr. Trump said, you're fired. I love that part. He's teaching Madison to talk. Make America great again. People say Ron's all Trump, but he is so much more. Big league. So good. I just thought you should know. Ron DeSantis for governor. Wow, I like Trump, but that is a little much, huh? I mean, anyway, it worked. He became governor, and again, I think he owes him. And here's somebody else who might be thinking about president who shouldn't because he owes Donald Trump, and that's Glenn Youngkin. Number one, he hasn't been governor of Virginia long enough, not even a year so far. And President Trump has been warning him gently, don't do this, Glenn. It's not your time. He points out that he endorsed him uh, enthusiastically. Let's go ahead and put it up on the screen. I endorsed him, did a very big Trump rally for him, telephonically got MAGA to vote for him, or he couldn't have come close to winning. Uh, I buy that, don't you? If Donald Trump came out against Yunkin, that would have been a problem. Uh, let's see, what else in this statement? Actually, here it gets interesting. He calls into question his name, Young Kin, but he spelled it this way, and he says, sounds Chinese, doesn't it? All right. Well, that's not racist. Sorry. What he's getting at is Youngkin's work with the Carlisle Group. Carlisle Group is some great big private equity slash hedge fund, uh, what do they call themselves, a global alternative asset management company. And he's, uh, I think, a billionaire. And it's global. So guess what? They definitely did a lot of work with the Chinese. Here's Glenn on the left there in a promotional video, an internal video for the Carlisle Group. And um, look, any global company is going to do work with the Chinese. And sometimes hmm, that can get complicated, right? Carlisle CEO says firm is committed to China. Donald Trump is uh, pointing that out. Chinese connections can be troublesome. They should have been more troublesome for Joe Biden. We'll see. Anyway... Everything he has said about Yunkin, about DeSantis, quite frankly, is factual and measured and responsible, certainly when compared to what the Democrats say about each other. It's, it's amazing they try to depict him as some sort of barbarian. Look at what Kamala Harris did to Joe Biden, did it right to his face. 
the so local that's decision. where the federal government must step now, in. That's why we have the Voting Rights Act and the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA, because that's there right. are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of I all people. I supported the okay, ERA from the very beginning seconds. when Vice I ran President Biden, 30 seconds. Whoa. What Donald Trump said in writing about those two Republicans was positively elegant compared to this hysterical display. All right, stay with us. What is going on in Nevada and Arizona with the voting? They voted better there. They had a better system a century ago. This is crazy. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 100 years ago in Arizona, they knew how to vote. They knew how to count votes. This is the presidential election in Arizona 100 years ago. And look, it's all orderly. They've got a box for ballots. They know how to count them. They had the results that very night. Fast forward 100 years to right now, and they're still counting. I mean, what is going on? Carrie Lake warned us about this. She's been talking about elections. She had real concerns about the 2020 election in Arizona. Remember how everybody said, oh, the elections were the best we've ever had. No, they weren't. And these aren't either in Arizona and beyond. Seriously, uh, what is happening here? This is so unusual. And you think about the technology we have. Maybe the technology is part of the problem because even in our tightest, most contested elections, we never had to wait like this, really. Um, let's go back. Here's the proof. Uh, all the way back to 1960. Remember that? How close that election was? You may have heard it in the history books. We knew who won the next morning. Okay, John F. Kennedy. 1964, uh, Election Day, November 3rd, the victory speech. Uh, he was declared the winner right around midnight, 1968. Very tight election. Uh, when was the victory speech? The next day. Richard Nixon, congratulations. Uh, 1972, overwhelmingly reelected. You see how it works? This is standard. This is how it's supposed to be in America. 1976, Gerald Ford lost. He gave the concession speech the next day. 1980, Ronald Reagan wins. Victory speech that very night, uh, 1984, the re-election. It goes on and on like this, okay? That very night. That's the way it's supposed to work in America. 1988, George H.W. Bush. Again, that's the pattern. 1992, he loses. Everybody knew he lost on election night. 1996, Bob Dole. We knew he lost on election night. John Kerry, remember him, 2004? He knew he was out of it uh, early the next morning. Gave the concession speech the next day, of course. Barack Obama. No. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, the victory is so clear. Oh, yes. Same in 2012. The victory speech happened after midnight, but that night, Donald Trump, 2016, it was obvious he won. The victory speech came early the next morning. Now, do you think the government, the powers that be, just said, we're going to let the people choose next time? I have some concerns. 
I still have some concerns, okay, about what happened next. Hey, by the way, I know I skipped 2000, uh, the hanging chads and all that stuff. That was an outlier. And Florida, to its credit, really developed some of the best systems in the world uh, to make sure that nothing like that ever happened again. Uh, but that doesn't explain where we are right now in Arizona and a few other places. I mean, this counting, <laughs> uh, this is just subject to fraud, coercion, abuse. Just like Jimmy Carter and James Baker said about uh, 17 years ago or so. They had a presidential commission looking into, hey, how do we have a great voting system in America? One of the things they said, don't do it by mail. Do not do it by mail. And now two-thirds of the country are doing it by mail. And I don't care what they say, everybody you're about to hear from is wrong. The November 2020 election in Pennsylvania, like every election since, was free, fair, and secure. The 2020 election was fair, that the votes were counted accurately. Everything we've seen, the 2020 election was as free, fair, secure, accurate as any election we've had. Uh, by definition, it wasn't, okay? All those days it took to actually figure out Joe Biden uh, <clears throat> won. Yeah, no, uh-uh. I have concerns about the fairness of that election. We're seeing that they didn't fix things or maybe they broke things. And now we still don't know who won in Arizona. And don't forget this. Remember when they boarded up all those stores in major cities across the country? What were they afraid of? They were afraid of what the left would do if Donald Trump was declared the winner. They weren't afraid of MAGA or the right wing. They were afraid of the left. And I think that's important. Election integrity. We are a long way from that. All right. Do you think this guy should be elected the next speaker, Kevin McCarthy? Uh, I'm not a fan. We're going to take a look at that. I'll be right back. All I can say... Is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. And you know the fake news really loves Adam Kinzinger, the outgoing congressman, uh, the former Republican from uh, Illinois. You know, he's still a congressman, though, and that means he's a federal employee. He's still drawing a paycheck, but something tells me he's not doing any actual work. Number one, he's all over television all the time. This is a just a small sample of his TV appearances. But, hey, look, I get it. I mean, that's kind of what members of Congress do. They're notorious for it, right, just going on TV all the time. But here's something else a guy's doing. He's tweeting like... I don't know, a Twitter troll, a full-time Twitter guy. I mean, he's a sitting member of Congress, and it seems to me that he tweets all day long about stupid stuff. Uh, some of this is just offensive. Let's take a look at some highlights or lowlights. Let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, calling MAGA people losers. Uh, what else? He likes to insult, uh, I don't know what that's all about. Something else, please. Uh, you know, yeah, just ripping on Trump every chance he gets. And then, in addition to all this, just taking on ordinary people, just engaging. You know, somebody criticizes, criticizes him on Twitter and he writes back. Uh, this guy says you're an embarrassment. He's like, hmm, somehow I doubt that. Way too much time on his hands. Maybe he should resign from Congress and stop taking the paycheck and let somebody else look out for, say, Rockford, Illinois. Uh, a medium-sized city in his district that has one of the highest crime rates in America. Very serious problems there. You know, instead of being on Twitter all day, maybe he could engage in 
constituent services, do something for the people of Rockford. He's still got a couple of weeks left. He's a able-bodied person. How about helping somebody instead of just trying to be a social media whatever? You are an elected congressman, a member of Congress. By the way, a career politician, and I don't even know if he's 40. He's been there for a dozen years. All right, good luck to him. Not really. Ooh, did you hear about weed being legalized in uh, Missouri and Maryland? Yeah, more states. It's like half the country is, uh, has legalized marijuana. And we have not really thought about this. Uh, it just happened overnight, and everyone's smoking this stupid stuff. Uh, it wasn't that way not too long ago. It was really stigmatized. It was something that you shouldn't do. You certainly shouldn't do it if you had a serious job, right? I want to show you a TV show that I've gotten into lately. It's called Suits. It actually is with Meghan Markle. I'm not a Meghan Markle fan, but man, she is good in this show. It's about a law firm and the drama and all that stuff. So they got this one guy who's a total genius. There he is. His name is Mike Ross. Uh, but at one point in the series, he's also, well, a bit of a pot smoker. And um, one day he shows up to work all stoned. And this is 2011, folks, not today. Look at how they treat him when they find out that he's high on marijuana. Why? it doesn't happen immediately. The paperwork's coming. Don't worry about it, okay? Boom. There you go. Look at that. <clears throat> Wyatt, let me call you back, okay? Five minutes. Bye. What's this? What is this? That's confirmation of the interference claim, which I proofed up top. What, you think you're working in a fraternity? You don't barge in here when I'm on the phone. Now, why are you so flush? Why am I so what? Your face is red. It looks like you've been in the sun. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, this morning, Lewis uh, took me to the tennis club. Oh, he's about to get busted. He was smoking weed all morning. If you guys were playing tennis all morning, how'd you have time to file this? Uh, he, it was this morning, actually, I was on the phone with them, uh, and Lewis helped me. Look at me. And he did the snapping thing, and Gregory... Look at me. You're high. Get out. Wow. I mean, today it would be against the law to speak to an employee like that. Probably as a note says, I can take it for my anxiety. Maybe the boss today would smoke up with you. I mean, not here, but everything's changed. And back then it was treated with the scorn it deserved. You don't understand, Lewis. Out. back on the line. Wow, huh? Ten years ago. Everything is changing way, way, way too fast. And I take it back. I genuinely wish Adam Kinzinger well. I'm not a fan. I do hope he gets real work <laughs> where he can do some real good for somebody. But we had our differences and uh, 
I do wish him luck. All right. Oh, when we come back, we're going to meet uh, J.R. Majewski. He ran for Congress, ran a great race, but he was abandoned by Kevin McCarthy, it looks like. Uh, it's really too bad. He would have been a great congressman. Uh, he's coming up. We'll be right back. Well, that is Donald Trump, of course, with J.R. Majewski. Uh, he was a Republican nominee for Congress uh, in uh, a northwestern district in Ohio. Unfortunately, it did not work out. He lost to the Democrat. Uh, but he was the victim, number one, of a fake news hit job. Uh, just a total disgrace of a piece of so-called journalism. And it looks like he was abandoned by, let's see, let's see how he put it. In a column in the National Post, Majewski, I am a Republican who lost on Tuesday. It wasn't Trump's fault. It was the cowards in D.C.'s leadership. Obviously, he's talking about McCarthy. Uh, J.R. Majewski, welcome back. Uh, it's great to meet you over this campaign. I'm sorry it didn't work out. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Greg. You know, it's Veterans Day. It's my birthday. <laughs> and... Uh, we just finished up what I consider a victory. I think I think the campaign went very well. I mean, it's hard to defeat a 40-year Democratic incumbent, but you know, we we did a pretty good job, and uh, I'm happy with the out the outcome. I wish we would have won, but you know, I, I I still have my integrity, and they can't take that away from you. Happy birthday! So, uh, number one, first, the Associated Press did, and I know this to be true, a total. Fake news hit job, uh, undermining your military service, saying things that weren't true. And we've already been through the details of that on two previous shows. You took a hit there. What happened next? And do you blame Kevin McCarthy for for what exactly? Well, I blame the leadership at the NRCC. You know, they they created a, a narrative, Marcy Kaptur and the Associated Press, that could have been easily defeated. Um, had I had the support from the NRCC as promised. Um, this was a hit piece, as you discussed, that uh, didn't have much air and uh, effect locally, but it certainly did nationally. And um, I was able to disprove that by producing, you know, the right amount of military documentation. And, um, you know, the polling that we did immediately thereafter showed that we had a path to victory. However, um, throughout the process of working with the NRCC, my campaign was made totally dependent upon the NRCC for all of my media. And when they decided to abandon the campaign, they left us high and dry. And Marcy Kaptur took advantage of it, spent hundreds of thousand dollars perpetuating this narrative. And I firmly believe that it was because I was too much of an America first Trump loyalist type of a candidate. And uh, they saw me as someone they couldn't control. Wow. All right. So NRCC forever. That's a National Republican Congressional Committee or campaign committee. They raise money to get Republicans and the Democrats. They have their version as well. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, he wasn't the actual head of it. Who was the head of it? It was Tom Emmer. But I can tell you through my interactions with both with with that organization, I was in constant contact with both of them. And um, it wasn't readily apparent, I would say, between mo most candidates who actually was leading that effort, uh, whether it was Tom Emmer or Kevin McCarthy. So 
we've come to know that McCarthy is not exactly a MAGA guy. And, uh, you know, he got scared after January 6th, told President Trump to uh, resign. I've heard this about Mitch McConnell. Do you think he feared you getting to Congress and voting against him for speaker? And he did the math and said, I actually don't need J.R. Majewski. We'll have enough Republicans to make me speaker without him. He could cause trouble once he gets here. Is that the calculus that uh, that uh, was in play? Absolutely. And I also think that it had a lot to do with my background in, in energy and the fact that you know we are not an energy independent nation. And uh, he saw that as a strong point of mine. And, you know, they played in races that the Republican Party had absolutely no business playing in. Uh, there were Democratic plus races in the state of Ohio that they dumped millions of dollars in. And, you know, I raised a lot of money for my campaign on my own. And despite that, I the fact that I didn't have outside money, there was one super PAC, D.C. Drain the Swamp, which came in, and their sole objective is to drain the swamp. And they helped me out. But without them, you know, I, I had absolutely no outside support. And I, I absolutely believe that they saw me as a candidate that was going to do the right thing by their constituents and would not break their loyalty um, for President Trump and what he's done for this country. You know, a lot of uh, the staffers up there, they're 20-somethings. Most of them, probably all of them, never served in the military. It would have taken them, somebody in the military, about 30 seconds to realize that the story against you is a fake news hit job. I don't know if they had the uh, the experience, the knowledge, and uh, maybe they, they probably got scared and intimidated, some of them. That's no excuse on, on their part. I'm sorry you're not going to be down there. I think you would have been great. Are you thinking about running again? I mean, two years from now... You know, I heard uh, the great one, Mark Levin. He said, maybe the red wave, this was the precursor, the real big red wave. He's not predicting, but that we could have a much better turnout in 2024. How do you feel about doing this again? Um, it all depends. <clears throat> it depends on whether or not, you know, Republicans actually stand up and develop a, a party platform and a level of synergy where we're an America first candidate like me can actually run and not risk giving up everything and sacrificing everything, you know, without absolutely no support. I mean, here I am, uh, was a working leader in the nuclear power industry. And uh, I've been essentially have had five to $10 million spent by Nancy Pelosi and Marcy Kaptur calling me an extremist and, you know, a number of other things, which is in some respects, riddled me unemployable. And, uh, you know, I went from a, a very high salary and a very uh, growing and budding professional career and attempted to do something right by the country and by the state of Ohio. And I'm left here now wondering what the future holds. But I'm going to keep fighting. It's it's in my blood. But uh, if, that, if that means in two years that I'm running for office again, then so be it. Things have a way of working out. Things have a way of working out, uh, J.R. Majewski. Um, Good luck. Let's stay in touch. And, um, you know, a lot of the I think four of the last five presidents ran for Congress and lost their first time out. So um, this doesn't mean you're out of the game. Not by not by any stretch. J.R. Majewski, thank you. Thank you, Greg. God bless you, man. You bet. Take care now. We'll be right back. <laughs> Arizona was better at counting votes a century ago, 100 years ago, they knew what they're doing. Uh, we had a feeling this was going to happen. This time around, they're still counting right now. 
We don't know who the governor is. We don't know who the United States senator will be. And we still don't have an attorney general. Abe Hamaday, I've made it quite clear that I'm rooting for him. He's a Republican. He's a young guy with a, a great track record, a veteran on this Veterans Day. Uh, welcome back, Abe. Um, <laughs> what's going on out there, first of all? How are you? Thanks for having me on, Greg, and happy Veterans Day. Well, you know, this is an embarrassment. Arizona's once again in the in the spotlight, the laughing stock around the country. And, you know, who could have predicted this? We knew this was going to happen. They, they didn't take election integrity seriously. Instead, they were so smug about it, calling us election deniers, calling us conspiracy theorists. But if you saw what we witnessed on Tuesday, Greg, it was a total disenfranchisement against Republicans. I mean, if you see the election day voters, those who voted on election day, it was about 70 percent of Republicans. I don't know if you witnessed, but it had uh, malfunctioning and failing machines that were failing to tabulate the votes. So this is what is so scary right now is how we have lost confidence in our elections. And, you know, we have another uh, dump coming of a voting tally coming up in about an hour and a half. So we'll see what that ultimately leads to. But we are confident we will be victorious. It seems like all the numbers are leading that way. Carrie Lake and I, we're going to we're going to win this thing. And Blake Masters, I feel confident about as well. But we just have to see what this next uh, dump uh, shows for Republicans. How similar are these issues to what happened in 2020? Same things? Well, in 2020 is a little different. I wasn't here in 2020. I was serving overseas. But, you know, from what I'm gathering, yes, very similar in terms of the, the lack of counting the ballots in a timely manner, but also just in back in 2020, it looks like a lot of found ballots were happening as well. So, you know, we haven't had that yet happen here in Arizona, but who knows? I mean, this is going to this is going to stretch across uh, to into next week. This is embarrassing. You know, you look around the world, you know, we rightly or wrongly spread the spread democracy around the world. And yet here we are, Arizona is a laughing stock, not just in our country, but around the world. You know, we don't really have a high ground to stand on right now, Greg, but I'll tell you what, just looking at the numbers, we feel very, very confident. I mean, Republicans came out in record numbers on election day, 70% to 30% is what the is what the tally was. So what's, what we're all waiting for right now is basically those those who dropped off their mail-in ballots on election day, which we tend to think it's going to favor Republicans in a big way. That's why we are so confident. The delays, um, all of this stuff, is it sinister? Is <laughs> it somebody's attempt? Like in 2020, a lot of folks believe yeah. that this is an effort to or was an effort to get Joe Biden elected. Is this an effort um, to help Katie Hobbs, to help the Democrats? I mean, or, or is it just incompetence? I think it's incompetence, but I also think it's deliberate, because if you look at how they were reporting the numbers, they could have easily reported the numbers in batches and just taken a sample size of all the batches. Instead, they were doing the first in, and that's how they were reporting. But as we know, a majority of the ballots that we're still waiting on, 290,000, are coming from Maricopa County, and they are day of drop-offs. So they could have easily said, let's take a sample size of 10% across all of the batches. And generally, by then, we would you know, have a good idea of who's going to win. But right now, we may see a massive swing in our favor by about 2 or 3 or 4%, right? And so this is why we, what we mean by it's totally incompetence of our elected officials. And you know, for the past two years, they kept saying that we are the greatest threat to democracy. And I'll <laughs> right. tell you what. 
I think the greatest threat to democracy is incompetent election officials. And, you know, when I get in there and when Carrie Lake gets in there, this is going to be the first item in our agenda. I also think actually accusing somebody of being a threat to democracy when they're not, that's actually also a threat to democracy somehow. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable well, how they said everything. It's especially with offensive, Greg, because here I am, a veteran who served overseas, right? I've taken that oath to defend the Constitution, yet I have some journalists, reporters who, who wear lanyards call me a threat to democracy. People like myself who served and wore the uniform, we are the guardians of our republic. Tell us a little bit about your service. What was it like? What did you do? What was your job? Absolutely. So I, was serve, I served 14 months overseas in Saudi Arabia. I was in charge of the training program with our partners in Saudi Arabia, their domestic security forces. So I would train them in country, but we also sent them to United States for training. And that presented some complications because, Greg, you may remember back in 2019, there was a terrorist attack in Pensacola due to a mm. Saudi Arabian terrorist who killed uh, three of our service members. So we had to implement, I implemented new enhanced security vetting guidelines out there. So anybody coming to the United States had to go through that rigorous process, process of background checks, um, and travel history. So, you know, it was really interesting time out there. But when I came back here, I no longer recognized our country. And boy, I, I am really scared what's happening right now, especially here in Arizona with the incompetence in our elections. Absolutely. And that 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 situation in Pensacola, that was that was somebody who was undergoing training, right? Or was designated yeah. to. That's Why? right. So every every year, we, uh, United States trains 5,000 foreign military students, and 1,000 of them are Saudis. So they are huge, you know, numbers in terms of our geopolitical relationship. Well, when I was going through flight school, we had some of them with us, uh, especially from Kuwait. They were good pilots and great guys, but obviously there are bad apples everywhere. Well, Abe Hamaday, we hope this gets wrapped up soon, and hopefully I can do this. I'm rooting for you. You're the next attorney general from Arizona. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. You bet. And we'll be right back. Veterans Day. And, uh, you know, I was in for nine years active duty. I think there were only three pictures taken of me. And this is one of them just before flying a mission over Iraq. That's in Kuwait, uh, flying the no-fly zone. It was an amazing experience, a privilege to serve. And one of the greatest things, the people you meet just fantastic individuals and some folks don't understand or realize that flying or being in the military in any capacity is dangerous even in peacetime and two of my very good friends from those days died in peacetime operations this is glenn blaisdell really great guy super super funny a native of indiana he died in 1995 while flying his f-18 uh, in the landing pattern in Jacksonville, Florida. He was just 26 years old. Fantastic guy. And also Dale Mulkey. He was 32 years old in 1996 when a bomb that he was planning to drop on a target, a practice target, exploded in flight. He was one of the greatest Harrier pilots ever. He was an ACTI, one of the highest rankings and qualifications a pilot can have. Dale Mulkey, a native of Pueblo, Colorado, and he taught me so much about the Harrier. Two great guys, and uh, there are so many more throughout the military. Anyway, happy Veterans Day, and thank you for watching. All the best.